All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast on Emory and Hitch. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC 274, and then we'll talk about UFC Columbus a little bit. But we've got such a fantastic episode to talk about. And once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Austin Silva. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. How can you not be doing well heading into a card like this? I think this is the most stacked UFC fight card since UFC 268 back in November of last year. Um, there's a real buzz in the air right now for UFC fans. I think we're going to see uh, a couple showcase fights, really, because the top three fights have huge favorites in those spots. Um, and I I believe that all three of those favorites are going to really shine out there, but that doesn't mean their opponents will not put up one hell of a fight. So I'm super excited for that card. I was really excited heading into UFC Columbus, which we're going to go into right now. Curtis Blades himself, he was a big favorite in this spot. And the people that believed Curtis Blades would win, they were thinking he was going to smash Chris Dawkins on the ground with ground upon because the guy is a fantastic wrestler. That was not the case. Curtis Blades used the threat of the takedown to, you know, distract Curtis Chris Dawkins from his big power, and that's what he did. He didn't even throw with the worst of intentions, but once that right hand landed right on the button, it hurt Chris Dawkins down. And Curtis Blades closed the show in that second round. I'm really impressed with Curtis Blades. He's now uh, he's now mixing his wrestling and his striking better than ever. It's something that he struggled to do against Derek Lewis, but this was more of the Curtis Blades we saw against Junior Santos, where you think he's going to shoot, but he's not, and he hits you with the big power, which I believe is underrated on the Curtis Blades side. And it's unfortunate for Chris Dawkins now being uh, on a bit of a skid after he was on a hot straight to kick off this UFC run. Yeah, this is that's the most uh, you know effective uh, thing for Curtis Blades. You think he's going to shoot? He's always doing these level changes, fainting, and that's the most dangerous for, for if you're his opponent because you don't know when he's going to shoot. You don't know if he, if he is going to shoot. And I feel like Curtis Blades wanted to make a statement in this one. He wanted to show that he can strike, he can stay on the feet, he can win these fights on the feet, and he did it. He beat Chris Dawkins. So I thought going into this one. Had, had the striking edge, but now I'm thinking Curtis Blades is getting better and better every fight, and I've always talked about how good he is. I think he's underrated in the heavyweight division, and then he calls that Stipe Miocic. Wow. I wouldn't mind it. Yeah, I, I believe that Curtis Blades uh, didn't exactly improve his spot a great deal with this uh, because he's always... I, because he got knocked out by Francis and Derek and it always feels like there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, a roadblock to the road to the title shot for him. Uh, but personally, if you ask me, his next matchup will be Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall had just gotten a finish the, the week before he got the finish. So uh, they're probably on the same timeline for a return. And Curtis Blades, uh, if he wants to really get some momentum behind him, I feel like that. Tom Aspinall win, especially if he gets a finish. I think that would do really uh, good uh, things for him in terms of fan perception because a lot of people are touting Tom Aspinall as the future champion. Yeah, 100%. It was a fantastic performance from Curtis Blades. And, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind that one. Uh, Curtis Blades would definitely test Tom Aspinall's wrestling and his defense. Uh, but, yeah, again, as we talked about, Curtis Blades, uh, it, it, that, that's the most dangerous, effective finger. Him is uh, you think he's going to shoot, and he might just stand and trade. And 
uh, that's where you know you might get caught off guard, and that's what happened with Chris Chris Dawkins. But yeah, as you talk about, a shame for Chris Dawkins once being touted as a you know being one of the top five, top three in the world, and uh, I think he's going to learn from these back to back defeats, and he'll come back stronger. I mean, he's hot, he's faced hard competition in Derek Lewis and Curtis Blade, so maybe he goes back um, back to the drawing board, fights these top ten guys, uh, gets a few win, and has another attempt. But I, I, I still don't think uh, it's, it's over. Obviously, it's definitely not over for him. He's still very early in his career. Um, he's such a small guy, though. I talked about, you know, the, the weight, the size difference. You could really see it. In all honesty, uh, as Curse Blade said, uh, Chris Dawkins is probably a light heavyweight. The guy, sure, he has really fast hands for heavyweight, but if you look at the guy, the, the guy isn't exactly looking like Jose Aldo on a scale. The guy has, you know, some fat to cut, so I I believe he could, he could go to light heavyweight. I believe he would be a ranked fighter at... Uh, like heavyweight, you, you can't tell me he wouldn't beat Johnny Walker. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Uh, maybe going down to two hundred five pounds uh, would be the wise decision for Chris Dorcas. Uh, but we'll move on to someone uh, who put on another fantastic performance. That's Alexa Grasso. Uh, one way I thought it wouldn't happen. I thought if there was going to be a submission, I was leaning toward Wood. I thought Wood might get it, but Alexa Grasso is showing once again that she's a well-rounded fighter and she gets a submission win against Joanne Wood. A fantastic performance, and now surely she's putting her name up, her name up there, and for the title, she surely is. Um, this was a, a you know tough result for me in particular. I bet this fight to go to decision because you look at these two ladies; they historically uh, go fifteen minutes when when they fight. So I did not expect Alexa Grasso to go out there and get her first submission victory in her entire career. I really didn't rate her submission offense that highly, even though she did, you know, get uh, Carlos Spars in a tight armbar. Uh, I, I, you know, I really wasn't confident she would be able to finish Wood, but she really proved herself to me down on the ground uh, in that fight. Uh, I think we're seeing a bit of a decline in Wood's abilities. Uh, she's already said that she's not far from retirement, so I, I don't believe that same fire and desire is there for, for Wood. Uh, but on the other hand, it's definitely there for Grasso. And I believe she's one fight away from a title shot, if you ask me. The winner yeah, I just, of, I've got to agree. Yeah, the winner of Andrea Lee versus Viviana Rujo. I think that's the fight. Yeah, 100%. I've got to agree. It was a, a, a statement win for Alex Grasso. And to get it done by submission, that, that you know, that really that really made that shocked me a little bit because I, I thought if it was submission I thought about, it was going to go wood. And uh, she, she proved that she's a, a well-rounded fire uh, involving. And uh, I think she's a real problem at 125 pounds. 100. Uh, I would love to see her fight Valentina one day. I don't. I don't know. Valentina would just run her over like she has some other opponents. And we'll move on to the fight of the night. Maybe Ooh. a fight of the year contender when it's all said and done. Brian Barberina got the win over Matt Brown via split decision. Uh, when I saw that this was a split decision. It was in Matt Brown's hometown of Columbus, Ohio. I was thinking he was going to get that hometown nod, but I felt like the judges really paid attention to the fight, and they gave it to the right guy, Brian Barberina. Uh, Matt Brown fought his heart and soul out there, uh, just like Brian. Uh, he definitely won that first round. That second round, he did get tagged, and uh, that was something I mentioned uh, previously, that if I had not really dug deep into my uh, analysis of this fight, I would have probably just said Brian Barberian knocks him out, but it's not that simple. Um, and he did hurt Matt Brown multiple times, and that was 
that was what swayed the judges. Sure, Matt Brown got a ton of takedowns, but he did absolutely nothing on top. It was just control time. So Byron Barberino was a guy doing more damage. Uh, before, uh, before like the last 30 seconds of the last round, I actually was giving that third round of Matt Brown, but the guy was absolutely gassed. The guy gave it all in there, so he he really had no uh, energy to defend himself. And Byron Barberino tagged him, and that made me give the round to Brian. So I I feel like Matt Brown, uh, Matt Brown's gas tank is was the determining factor in Byron Barberino getting this win. But nonetheless, I'm really I was really satisfied to see uh, Byron Barberina become uh, be in better form because uh, I feel like uh, in the Jason Wood fight he was not in this form. Yeah, it's always good. But when when we saw this fight on paper, it, it, it was uh, we knew it was going to be a good fight. It, you had that inkling that you know this, this is going to produce. It's going to be a banger. Uh, every fight with Brian Barberina in it, you, you know you're going to get entertainment. And once again, he showed it. He, he always comes to fight. He always brings the entertainment. And this guy, man, it's phenomenal. He threw 186 strikes, almost 100 more than Matt Brown. He's uh, his his volume. He's just relentless. Um, a fantastic fight. And Matt Brown, you gotta give credit to him. At his age, if I'm correct, maybe 41. If if, yeah. if I'm correct, he, he's old. And and he's he hang he hanged in there. He proved he could still fight. And uh, it's phenomenal what he can do at his age. It's uh, seeing old, you know, seeing the veterans. And you know, hanging in there, still doing well. It, it's always a good sight. And the uh, Matt Brown is not slowing down, though. But except from his cardio, uh, that's the only issue. But man, it's a fantastic fight. And credit to Barbara Barino and Matt Brown. They put on an absolute showstopper. It's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, it's it. You know, usually guys of that age, when they get tagged, the, the fight, you know, it's usually over. But Matt Brown is a straight up warrior, as his nickname uh, calls him. He is a mortal man. I, I love that guy. A great fight from those two. And another great fight on this card was Kai Kai France's win over Askar Askarov. Askar Askarov was unbeaten and heading into this. In my opinion, he did lose his UFC debut against Brandon Moreno. That was a rule to draw, but uh, I thought Brandon won that fight. Nonetheless, Kai Kai France is in the best form of his career. It, it It's a very obvious because back then he would struggle with these high-level grapplers like Askarov. But I feel he's leveled up in terms of, uh, in terms of pacing himself, in terms of takedown defense, and he's more confident than ever. He just knocked out the former bantamweight champion in the last fight, so he went in there against Askarov, and he had a very tough first round. He could have scored it a 10-8. He got his back taken. I thought Askarov might have, might have uh, been able to choke him out right then and there, but he stayed calm in that second round. Once Askarov started getting some takedown stuffed. Goodness gracious, he started getting punished big time and rocked many times. And uh, Askarov never really found his groove after that. In that third round, sure, he got he got another takedown, but didn't really do anything with it. I saw some people thinking Askarov won the fight. I don't know what they were watching. Kakar France was the guy doing all the damage in that third round, and he won a decisive decision, in my opinion. And now this puts him in a spot where he might be fighting for the belt next because Davison doesn't want to fight Brandon the fourth time. So he might have just turned himself a tire shot with this one. If you were to, if you were to ask me, I, I thought this should have been the real main event because uh, uh, these guys did go to decision. I thought it would have been really cool to see it as a five-round fight. Curtis Blades versus uh, Chris Dawkins probably wasn't going to go uh, past three rounds. 
I mean, it's a number one contender fight. I, I don't know yeah. how you don't put that as main event. So, yeah, uh, and it ended up being a much better fight than a heavyweight fight, obviously. So, yeah, good stuff from Kai Car France. Uh, I feel like back then, if you had asked me like two years ago, if he is he going to be a champion, I, I would have kind of laughed in your face. Honestly, he was getting submitted by Brandon Roval, but the guy is obviously leveled up. He fought Roger Bonterrain, survived the worst position possible, and then knocks him out. Knocks out former champion Cody Garbrandt. Now he knocks out a Dagestani wrestler, undefeated. Come on, this guy, this guy is on the next level now. I think. I, I think. I think that fight against uh, Roger Bonterrain uh, is uh, the best fight for him that could happen in his career because I think it just gave him another level of confidence. Because as you talked about, he survived the worst position possible for like four minutes straight. It was unbelievable. Yeah, Kaikara France, uh, his trajectory is definitely uh, going up after this. We'll move on to Neil Magny's split decision win over Max Griffin. Our most confident pick on this entire card was Neil Magny by decision. Uh, I really gave Max Griffin a uh, very low chance of winning this. Boy, was I wrong. Max <laughs> Griffin, maybe 37, but the guy's in his prime right now. The guy has never been more confident in his punching power. And in the first round, he sits down Neil Magny, who historically is pretty durable. But this was a classic Neil Magny fight. After uh, after having a slow start, he will win rounds two and three. Uh, did he win round two? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I gave Neil Magny that round because I was picking him. I'll just say that. That was a super close round. Both guys were tagged. Um, and Neil Magny was turning it up at the end of the second round because Max Griffin was slowing down. And we saw in that third round, Neil Magny dominated that round. You could have given him a 10-8. So uh, that was the most decisive round of the entire fight, that third round for Neil Magny. So, yeah, Neil Magny, he had a classic performance here, but it was nowhere near as easy as I thought it would be. 100%. I've got to agree. Max Griffin was, uh, let's just say, no one really gave him a chance in this fight. They thought Neil Magny was going to control him, beat him. Um, I, I'm not too sure off the top of my head, but I think Neil Magny might have been, you know, the biggest favorite on, on the card. So, yeah, it was actually Curtis Blades, I believe. Well, well he, he must have been a huge favorite because, you know, I mean, if you look at the level of competition that, that they fought before this fight, it, it, it was it was a lot. It was big. So, and uh, Max Griffin went in there and just fought his heart out. He's phenomenal. He's been on the show, and uh, he, he's, he's such a fantastic fighter. And that knockdown in round one, you, I was thinking, oh my god, we're in for, we're in for a treat here. And then round two, round three, Neil Magny does what he does best. He makes it into a dogfight. He dragged it into the deep waters. Uh, but Neil, but Max Griffin, credit to him. Yeah, I didn't give him a chance in this fight. And he proved in there, you know, he can hang with the best fighters in the world. And uh, I feel like after this fight, his stock has gone up again. Uh, and I feel like they're going to go in there, give him maybe another top 15 fight. I think he deserves it. Yeah, I, I really believe that uh, Max Griffin overperformed in this spot. The, the guy has not proved that he can hang with top 15 guys. And he just hung with a top 10 guy and arguably beat him. It was so convincing that the UFC brass gave him his win bonus. That's how that's how much uh, the UFC brass uh, thinks of him, uh, despite the fact that he lost. So really impressive by both guys, honestly, in that fight. And we'll move on to a fight that was not so exciting because it was straight up dominance. We saw Mark Chikizi. Uh, out-wrestle Vyacheslav Borshev for 15 minutes, pretty much. Uh, anytime they were striking, uh, Borshev was throwing big hooks, hoping to land a big bomb, but 
Jacasey had a huge wrestling edge here. Uh, my read on this fight was way off. I'll, I'll admit it. I thought uh, we were going to see a striking match here. Uh, Jacasey is traditionally a striker, but he has taken guys down in the past. Uh, Borshev, he did well with his defensive wrestling against uh, guys like uh, guys, you know, lower level guys. So I thought he might have been able to defend himself well here, but that was not the case. Jacasey has very underrated wrestling, and he showed it out there. That's basically the story of the fight. Borshev, uh, unable to defend those takedowns, unable to get up, and eventually got tired. Yeah, who knew an Englishman could out-wrestle a Russian? Yeah. Hey, it happened. It happened. I witnessed it. You witnessed it. It was phenomenal to watch. Uh, uh, yeah. Marty Casey did what he had to do, basically. He did what he had to do to win the fight. Uh, I feel like we've seen you know, an evolution, as I was talking about earlier with... Um, I can't, I can't remember top of my head. I feel like we've seen the evolution of a, a fight IQ for Marty Casey in in, yeah. the, in these two years. He, he took some heavy losses, and I feel like them heavy losses are you know a big for him in the future because as he, he implemented the wrestling uh, because he just knew that that's where he was better. So and uh, it, it was smart. It was a wise decision. He got the job done. Was it exciting? No. But does it has he kept his job? Has he as he's in the win column again? Yeah. So he did what he had to do to to, to win and. Um, a credit to him. Um, I don't know what's next for him though, but I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit unsure. But I, I, I know when he fights, it, it'd be a good fight. Yeah, I feel like Ludovic Klein should be next for March Casey. That'd be two, two strikers. I'd, I'd love to see that next. Now we'll go to the prelims. We'll keep it, uh, we'll keep it fairly brief on the prelims. We got a really good card to get to. Sarah McMahon beat Carol Hosa, who was on a rise. She used her superior wrestling to get it done. In the the first and second round, and her conditioning has improved uh, significantly, in my opinion. So that that was the determining factor. She looked better than she has in a long time, and beat the surgeon Carajosa. Then we had maybe knockout of the year. Chris Gutierrez knocked out Dana Bakari in the second round, spinning back fist, unbelievable. Uh, this is going to be a highlight for the ages. Uh, Chris Gutierrez is now on a seven-fight unbeaten streak. The guy's on a crazy run. Denabakari had never been knocked out before this, so that that was a huge statement of victory. Uh, just tell me your thoughts on that crazy KO from Gutierrez. I mean, it was phenomenal. You know, spinning back fist, uh, absolutely knocked him out. Uh, I thought Chris Gutierrez was was, was going to win, but I didn't think it'd be in 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 that fashion. It was a Denabakari was a fantastic prospect coming up, and uh, I just felt like uh, Chris Gutierrez was going to have his number and. <laughs> What a way to finish the fight as well. Uh, what, what did you say? He's seven and zero in uh, in yeah. the UFC. He's uh he's on a seven fight beating streak. One draw, one draw in the mix. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who that draw was against. Cody Durden. Cody Durden. No, Cody Durden. Yeah, so yeah, he's very underrated. Um, How's the loss inside the UFC? Durden got a 10-8 first round, but he didn't really do any damage. So I thought you could have given it to Chris, but nonetheless, he's in a great run here and not. I feel like he's one fight away from getting a ranked opponent. This is a shark tank, this Van division. Seven fight on being streak, still not ranked opponent, in my opinion. That's, that's just a testament to the division. And we'll go on to uh, Ali Ashab, Krizyev's win over Dennis Tolulin. My goodness, this guy, uh, not only does he have really good wrestling, his kickboxing really uh, jumped off the page for me here in this in this fight. Uh, he did get tagged a couple He's got to work on that head movement, but he's not even in his real division yet. This was a middleweight fight. 
the guys are actually a welterweight, and he said he wants to go down. So I think at welterweight, he has huge success. I think he'll be a ring guy within the next year uh, at 170 pounds. And uh, that was a really impressive second round submission. Choked out Dennis Cold. And we'll move on to Jennifer Maya's loss to Manon Thoreau. This was so impressive. Uh, Manon Thoreau always has really good output, loves to use her kicks. Um, and in this fight, she showed her grappling and wrestling skills. If you had told me Jennifer Maya would be the one tagging Manon Thoreau with head kicks and Manon Thoreau taking her down, I would have called you crazy. I, I, I was. I would have said you would got their names mixed up. But that was the case here. Uh, Maya landed some heavy head kicks. And Manon Thoreau was landing uh, really good takedowns. And I had questions about Manon's submission defense. I picked her to get submitted uh, in her previous fight. And Jennifer Maya had nothing for her off of her back. So I'm very confident in Manon's uh, defensive grappling and offensive grappling after this. I believe she would get up somewhat competitive fight to Valentina at this stage. Yeah, she's phenomenal. As we talk about, you know, she's uh, showing her uh, a, a, a wide uh, verse of mixed martial arts as, uh, she, as she mixed up her wrestling in this one. And uh, we know how good her boxing, kickboxing is and her boxing. Uh, as you talked about, she'd probably give a good fight uh, to Valentina. I don't think she's ready just yet, but I feel like it'd be competitive now. But I feel like in, in, in a few fights, I feel like uh, she could be a problem. 100%. And we'll move on to uh, a fairly uneventful fight. Mateus Nikolaou beat David Dvorak. The first uh, four minutes or three minutes of this fight were painful to watch. They were unbelievably inactive, respecting the other a lot. I acknowledge in this fight that uh, these flyweights, they're not super durable. Uh, and both of them can crack. And that's what happened here. Uh, Nikolaou kept on cracking Dvorak in every round. In that second round, he knocked him down. I thought it was about a knockabout. Uh, yeah, Nikolai was the more powerful fighter here, and if he let his hands go more, he would have gotten the knockout, if you ask me. Dvorak was on a 16-fight win streak, and it got snapped here against Nikolai. I think Nikolai is ready for uh, definitely a step up. He's 3-0 ever since he returned to the UFC. I really like what he's been doing ever since he returned. And we'll move on to Luis Saldana's unanimous decision victory over Bruno Souza. This was a very competitive fight. Bruno Souza, uh, he didn't fight like he usually does. I thought he would just sit back and be, uh, you know, uh, low output, just avoid getting knocked out. That was not the case here. He walked forward and was super aggressive, but he still was a little behind Luis Saldana. Luis Saldana um, gave him a really good fight here. Um, and he had a power edge here. That was a big uh, factor in this fight. And in the end, yeah, it was. he got the win. And you could have given it to either guy, in my opinion. Uh, but we saw Daniel looking really good out there. Uh, and it was good to see him look good in that third round because when he fought Austin Lingo, he gassed after that first round. So, yeah, that was a really great way to start what became a really fun car to watch. Uh, once again, I've said this before. Seeing UFC fight nights in front of fans, it's just it's just much better, man. The whole energy surrounding the fights, it's way better. And that's going to be the case this Saturday. We got fights back in front of fans emanating from the Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. 
UFC 273. It is headlined by the champion Alexander Volkanovsky versus the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. This is going to be a really good card, man. I say we get right into the main event. The main event uh, is for the Featherweight Championship. Uh, I say you start, Lenny. Give us your pick for this Featherweight title fight. Such a fantastic fight. Uh, you know, Alexander Volkanovski versus the Korean Zombie. The Korean Zombie coming off a win against Dan Ige, and Volkanovski coming off a, a win against Brian Ortega. Uh, Alexander Volkanovski is so, so underrated. I thought he's so underrated, so underappreciated. I mean, he's defended his belt against Max Holloway. He defended his belt against Brian Ortega. Um, he's undefeated in the UFC. He's won 20 fights back-to-back. -back. Uh, it's phenomenal who he's beat. He's beat Chad Mendes, Jose Aldo. He's got such a great resume, and he's only just started. He's only just begun, and it's phenomenal. He's beat Max Holloway twice. You, you could argue he could have went the other way, but he's beat him. It's on there, and then he's beat Brian Ortega. And uh, and now he's got a Korean zombie in his way, and he and I'm watching embedded, and uh, Volkanovski's been saying that he he's always wanted to fight the Korean zombie. He's a legend. He's always uh, you know manifested it, and now is the time, his opportunity. And uh, I know Korean zombie's no slouch, but I just think Volkanovski. I think he's on another level. Um, the, the way he mixes it up is uh, his striking and his wrestling. His wrestling is superb. It's phenomenal. It's really really good. I think that's one of his best best weapons. His wrestling, being able to mix up. Um, shoot, I mean, I just don't see the Korean Zombie uh, uh, Korean Zombie winning this fight. I think Alexander Volkanovski is uh, just going to be a different animal. His, um, his wrestling, uh, he, he can implement it at any time, and I know Korean Zombie knows that uh, if he gets taken down, but the Korean Zombie is fantastic on submission. He's good off his back. Um, he's got that threat. Uh, we've, seen it, we've seen it in the past, the Twister. Um, we've seen a lot of submission. He, didn't he choke out Dustin Poirier back in the past as well? So, He's a threat on the ground, uh, but I just I just think Volkanovski is just a different animal. I, I think he's going to make it not look easy, but I think it's going to be comfortable. Yeah, Volkanovski is a huge favorite in this spot. He's a minus 750 favorite, and uh, I don't exactly agree with that. I feel he's more of a minus 450 favorite. Uh, Volkanovski is a master of the fundamentals. The guy can fight wherever the fight goes, man. The guy fights to his uh, opponent's weaknesses he'll he'll create the openings and he'll capitalize on them uh volkanovsky is a very well-rounded fighter and in my opinion he's top three in the ufc right now the guy does not get the love he should because when you beat max holloway twice after beating josie aldo that is madness and he's about to add another legend to his resume here I feel he's going to get a unanimous decision victory against Chan Sung Jung. Uh, the Korean Zombie is very hittable. There's, it's no secret. All you have to do is uh, watch, you know, many of his wars. He's trying to change that, but uh, when he fought Dan Ige, even that fight, he was getting cracked a couple times. That fight was very uncharacteristic of Korean Zombie because he went out there uh, and started using his wrestling, and he got a lot of control time. I don't think he can do that to Volkanovski here. Volkanovski is a shorter guy, very uh, you know low base. It's gonna be hard to get him down. In fact, I think Volkanovski will be the one doing the wrestling here. Uh, Chan Sung Jung, sure he got the twister, but I wouldn't say he's you know the greatest grappler in the featherweight division. Uh, I think Chan Sung Jung will be stuck on bottom for uh, for a round or two in this fight. And Volkanovski has vicious ground and pound, and on the feet, 
sure, Chance Jung has a puncher's chance. But uh, we've seen Volkanovski get hurt by Chad Bendis, hurt by Max Holloway. The guy recovers very well. So even if Chance Jung finds a knockdown here, I think Volkanovski can survive the guy. Uh, has no quit in him. Oh, yeah, that, that Brian Ortega fight stuck in the tightest guillotine possible. The guy refuses to quit. You're gonna have to kill him in there. So, Volkanovsky, uh, I think he's got the edge everywhere, everywhere in this fight. The only edge I give to Ch- Chan Sung Chung is power, but I think uh, Volkanovsky is a much uh, more defensively responsible fighter than uh, the Dennis Bermudez is, the Frankie Eggers. I think he's better defensively. And he's got the better gas tank. That's without a doubt. So I say Volkanovski uh, pretty much dominates this fight. He might lose a round if he gets tagged. But besides that, I see Volkanovski just taking the fight where he wants to and avoiding uh, the big power from the zombie. And this is going to be another legend on his resume. And people are going to start respecting him more after this one. I've got to agree. Uh, I think Volkanovski is uh, very underappreciated, as you were saying. And, uh, uh, I feel like this one we're gonna we're gonna realize how good he is once again. On the, I mean, Chan Sung Jung, they've been respectful throughout you know the whole process. Uh, but I feel like he's uh, he's gonna be outmatched here against Volkanovski, and uh, it, it, it's, I can't wait for it. It's gonna be it's such a fantastic main event, uh, and the co-main event as well. Woo, I guess even better. Wow. There's so many storylines surrounding this co-main event for the bantamweight championship. This fight has been. Uh, you know, has been in the talks for two years now. These guys have been talking back and forth for two years. In June of 2020, uh, the UFC, you know, had to deal with the fact that the Bantamweight title was vacant. So they go and they book Piotr Jan against Josie Aldo, and they book Aljamain Sterling versus Corey Sanhagen. And I really feel like they should have booked Sterling versus Jan for the belt. I felt like that was the real title fight. But in the end, uh, they end up doing Sterling versus Sanhagen. Sterling steamrolls Sanhagen, chokes him unconscious. We've seen we've seen Sanhagen go 25 uh, competitive minutes with Jan, 25 competitive minutes with TJ Delshaw. Aljamain Sterling takes him out of there in less than two minutes. That's how dangerous this guy's grappling is. And Piotr Jan, on the other hand, he fights Jose Aldo. Uh, doesn't start all that great, but... He eventually breaks Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is one of the top five best fighters of all time. And he goes out there and smashes them to bits. One of the most vicious beatings we've ever seen in the octagon. Uh, the guy's an absolute monster. I think he'll be the best band weight of all time when it's all said and done. Uh, he's the best boxer in the UFC. I don't care what Max Holloway or Connor has to say. He's the best boxer in the UFC. The guy has ridiculous Muay Thai and incredible, really good wrestling, offensive wrestling. Took down Sanhagen. Took down Sterling seven times when they fought. This guy is a threat everywhere. He's got vicious power. I think he hits harder than anybody in this weight class. That's what really stands out about the guy. And he can give up rounds. He can even have low output. He's just so confident he's going to do more damage. The guy's a terminator. I think he's going to terminate Sterling like he was in the process of doing last year. Um, Let me talk about that fight. Sterling... He was doing really well in that first round. He was fighting at a frantic pace. He was giving uh, Jan no no room to breathe. Lands a big knee. Rocks Jan. But Jan knocks it down with a big old right hand. And that gave the round to Jan, in my opinion. In the second round, 
that was a very close round. In fact, Sterling outstruck him, got a lot of control time against the fence, but uh, it was clear that he was getting tired. And once that third round came around, he started getting a vicious beating put on him. Uh, Sterling just got several takedowns stuffed, over 10 takedowns stuffed. So when your path to victory is to take guys down and submit them, and you can't do it, you have to strike with him. And Sterling, uh, he does not have have a puncher's chance. Jim Rivera fought him. Jimmy said he does not hit hard at, hit hard at all. The only punch that hurt him was a spinning back fist. But uh, he mainly uses his kicks. And uh, you know, if you've ever boxed versus kick, uh, you ever boxed or kickbox, you know, kicking takes a lot more energy. Sterling, you know, he's fought at crazy pace at a crazy pace for 15 minutes before, but when it gets to that 25 minute mark, we've only seen him tire. I don't care that his weight cut and rehydration went poorly. Uh, I don't care about that. Those are just excuses. What I see is that Sterling will tire. And Jan only gets better as the fight goes. I think Piotr Jan will have Sterling once again on his knees, but instead of illegally kneeing him, I think he's just going to land big old punches um, and legal strikes, and he'll find the ground and pound finish in the fifth round. Uh, can you just tell me what you made of that uh, first meeting back in March of 2021? I think the first meeting gives me all... Oh, I need to know for this first, for the second meeting. I think Peter Yannis is the better fight all, all around. Uh, I think the only department where Sterling has a chance is the wrestling, but I still think Peter Yannis is the better grappler. It's, um, Peter Yannis is phenomenal. He's, he, he, he's, he's so good everywhere. And obviously, he's boxing. It's sharp. It's crisp. It's just beautiful to watch. And uh, that's where he does his best work. Um, mixing it all up, you know, with the knees and, uh, the, you know, the kicks and the elbows. Uh He's just so, so good. He's a, uh, when you're watching it, it's, it's like poetry in motion. Uh, everything he does is just perfect. Um, never puts a foot wrong. Uh, but the only chance that I give Sterling is early because when Jan fights, he takes the first few rounds off because he's, you know, he's reading you. He, he, he's trying to set traps, know what, what you're, what you're, what you're trying to do so he can, you know, counter you or et cetera. That's the only pace or the only chance I give Sterling. If he comes out sharp, Early, quick, look for that takedown, submit him like what he done to Corey Sanhagen. But do I see that happen? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't see, I don't think Sterling goes in there and gets him down, submits him uh, in, in the first round or the second round. Uh, I, I think Pete Young's too good. I, I think it's going to really show. Um, I think Sterling did the, did the best thing of uh, taking the knee and uh, acting or whatever happened there of getting that belt because he's got himself a, a shot of a kind of redemption because. He, he's, he wants to put it right. He wants to show he's the best fighter. And I think Pete Young is just, uh, he, he's too good. He's way too good. I, I just don't see Sterling yeah. winning this fight. And um, I, I don't, I, we haven't, we, we, since the last fight, we haven't seen him fight before because he's been around, uh, he's been out with his surgeries and we just don't know what sort of evolution yeah. or what he's been doing while he was gone. Yeah, not only has Sterling been out for a year, the guy had a major neck surgery. You don't think that would affect his performance here? Uh and not only that, uh, Jan, you know, he takes the first round, first couple rounds off to make his reads. He already made the reads. He already made his reads against Sterling. Uh, this is actually the second rematch Jan has had in his career. He fought, uh, who was it? Magomed. Ma oh, I forgot his name. Magomed. Magomed. Magomedov, I believe he fought. Uh, he, yep. he, that is actually his first loss of his career. Want to know why he lost that fight? It was a headbutt. It was it was a it was a headbutt. So Jan has always has always uh, you know 
played uh with the rules a little bit and he it cost him there he got a point deducted that cost him the fight so when they fought again he goes out there and decisively wins the fight uh yan uh yan is the real deal man i think yan will sit atop the bantamweight throne for a long time i keep on having to remind myself that sterling is a champion because let's be honest he's a paper champion at this point only fighting ufc history to win the belt be a disqualification uh uh but one thing i have to point out here if any casual fans are listening uh do not judge starling on purely that last fight because like i was an absolute beast before that beat pedro munos beat Henan Burrell, beat uh beat a lot of guys you would know of course i'm leaving wow jamie rivera jamie rivera by the way outstruck Pierre Yan. Uh, he was doing well in every round, but it just so happened that he got knocked down or hurt in every round. So uh, Sterling is a really good striker, really great grappler, but it just isn't enough to beat Pierre Yan. I don't even, I honestly don't even know who's beating Pierre Yan at this point. I say Omar Nurmagomedov will have the best chance in like five years. That's that's pretty much it in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, the pick is Pierre Yan, fifth round TKO. That's my pick. What's What's your official pick? Yeah, I'm going to Peter Yan. Uh, I think it's going to be late as well. I'm going to, I'm going to go for third round, fourth round, TKO. Okay. And we'll move on to Gilbert Burns' return against Hamzat, the Boris Chemayev. This is the real main event, if I'm being honest. This is the fight that has really gained my attention throughout the whole fight week. Hamzat is such a character, man. This guy is a phenom. Uh, let me just take you through his UFC career, which has been very short. Uh, if, if you know, very eventful, I would say in those four fights. Uh, his first fight, he's a minus eight hundred favorite against uh, John Phillips. Steamrolls him. Uh, second round, uh, Dars choke uh, looks incredible out there. And coming into that fight, we heard Ilir Latifi and Alexander Gustafson say that this guy was getting the better of them in practice. Elio Latifi and Gustafson uh, were established light heavyweights. They were contenders at light heavyweight. Uh, Gustafson fought for several belts, and now he's at heavyweight. Both guys are heavyweights now, and Hamzat is fighting at welterweight. So Hamzat is fighting a former lightweight. So I'll just tell you right now that Hamzat will be is obviously the bigger guy. He will be the bigger, stronger guy in this fight. So that right there is a huge advantage in this fight. Uh, but let me return to uh, the, the Hamzat career. So 10 days after that fight, he fights Reese McKee, who's a really good prospect at the time. He he steamrolls him, TKO in the first round. And then he fights Gerald Mearshart like two months after that. One punch KO, 17 seconds. Gustafson says that not only does he not get tired, he hits like a heavyweight. This is a welterweight. He's like a heavyweight. And there's nothing that tells me he doesn't hit like a heavyweight. He's knocked guys out with uppercuts. He knocked out Gerald, who was historically durable, with one punch. I think this guy, uh, not only is he a fantastic Swedish wrestler, guy hits like a truck. And Gilbert has gotten knocked out by a featherweight. A featherweight in Dan Hooker at, light, at uh, lightweight. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know if Gilbert can take those punches. Uh, and also, Gilbert has fought Russian wrestlers before, and he's gone and dominated and been unable to present anything off of his back. And that was Gilbert 
when he was a little fresher, uh, you know, off his BGJ competition. He's beaten Rafael Lobato Jr., former Bellator champion, at 205 pounds before. Uh, guy was a BGJ champion. I don't think it's enough to submit Hamzat here. Um, sure, I had my doubt, but when you hear countless UFC fighters, countless legends say they've seen him in the training room, and this guy will be a future champion. I'm not going to say no to guys like Darren Till, Michael Bisping, Chill, Sonnen, Alexander Ghost. I'm not going to call those guys liars because there's nothing that's told me that the hype isn't real. You know, uh, Gilbert Burns in his last fight, he took down one boy many times, held him down there. A lot of people are pointing to that uh, fight, saying that he can submit one boy, he won't submit Hamzat. That was a different situation. Gilbert did not attempt a single submission in that fight. All he wanted to do was control Wonder Boy. He didn't want to risk Wonder Boy getting on his feet and uh, knocking him out. So that was a situation there. Uh, before that, he fights Kamar Usman. He knocks down Kamar Usman. He makes Kamar Usman touch the floor. Um, but after that, he just tired out. And everybody is saying Hamzat does not get tired. So the cardio advantage is on the Hamzat side too. So when I see him as a huge favorite like this, there's nothing that's telling me uh, but he doesn't deserve to be in that spot. Sean Anik cannot contractually pick a fighter to win. And he said all week that Chemayev deserves to be this big a favorite. I, I, I have a lot of confidence in Chemayev's future. I say he gets a second round ticket on this spot. It's 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 very hard to pick Gilbert in this spot. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't really... I mean, the, the, as you were talking about, the only way I can see you know Gilbert winning this fight is the, is, is the grappling. And as you, as you were talking about, he has been active for years. Uh, as, as you were talking about beating Rafael uh, Lovato Jr. at 205 pounds. Uh, Lovato Jr. is a fantastic practitioner of his own. And Gilbert Burns beat him. And, it, and that's, the only, that's the only way I see him winning this fight is being able to submit Chumayev. But do I see that happening? Absol absolutely not. I, if that happens, when we're living in a, a total universal world where something yeah. fantasy. Uh, I just don't see... Burns submitted Jemayev. Um I mean, he, he has quite heavy hands. As you're talking about, he knocked down Kamara Usman. Um, he, he's, uh, he's not, he knocked out a few people with the Jemayev, as you were talking about, he's like an absolute truck. This guy's a marauder. He's a smasher. Um, he, he's going to smash Gilbert Burns. And uh, I feel like we're going to have like quite a rude awakening because I feel like, uh, I think everyone's going to realize Jemayev is uh, the real deal once again. Yeah. Chimaev was a multi-time gold medalist in Swedish wrestling. Uh, that's that's and he's a white belt, by the way. He's a white belt. Yeah, that too. So that that might be a little bit of a concern now that you mention it. But uh, uh, Chimaev's coach has actually grappled with Gilbert Burns and beat him. So I'm sure he can give him a tip or two there. Uh, Chimaev, uh, that not only the cardio, the power, but people always say he's the strongest guy they've ever been in there with. So I feel like he can neutralize Gilbert. Uh, I expect him to strike a little with Gilbert, maybe knock him out in that first round. But if he can't knock him out, I see him getting a takedown and surviving a submission attempt or two and just landing vicious ground and pound, tiring Gilbert out a little bit. And in that second round, I see him getting another takedown and then just smashing him there. I don't think I'll submit Gilbert uh, in this spot. Gilbert, is he's got a very short neck, so I'll just say that, so. Chemayev second round TKO is my pick. The hype is real. I see Chemayev being 
a two-weight champion before the end of 2024. Uh, I think in I think if he just gets a little more development, I think he beats Kamaru Usman. And right now, I, th- I think he beats Israel Adesanya because I'll, I'll be real. Uh, Robert Whitaker, I love the guy. Not not exactly a caliber wrestler like a Chemaev. And Yo Romero did not really wrestle him. Scared to get tired. Chemaev's not scared to get tired. So I think Chemaev can definitely beat those two champions. That's how highly I think of the guy. And now we'll move on to Mackenzie Dern. Versus Tisha Torres at strawweight. Uh, Mackenzie Dern is the favorite here, and I disagree. Tisha Torres is the better wrestler in this fight. She's defended takedowns from v- Brianna Van Buren in the past, which is much better wrestler than uh, Mackenzie Dern. Uh, Torres has offensively used wrestling before. And in the Angela Hill fight, a lot of people thought uh, her back to victory was uh, taking her down. That was not the case. She stood with her and had the much quicker hands. Looked great out there. She's looked better than ever. And she was actually on a on a big skid at one point. But now she's gotten her confidence back up. And uh, I really think she's going to perform well in this fight. Mackenzie, uh, obviously the best BJJ fighter uh, to ever compete in a female division. Uh, when it goes to the ground, nine times out of ten, it will be over. She will get your arm. She will get your neck. Whatever she wants. But when she fought Marion Rodriguez... In that second round, she got a takedown, and Marina Rodriguez was able to defend everything. That's the concern here if you're picking Dern, because everybody's talking like talking that she has like you know the submission ability, like Mangano has the punching power. If you're good enough defensive grappler, you can hang in there for a little bit, and I believe Torres is good enough to hang in there, even if she gets taken out. But I predict no takedowns on the Dern side. And when we see her purely strike, it's not pretty, let's be real. And Torres has really quick hands here, man. I, I see Torres beating her up on the feet. Um, and I don't think she'll have the same, you know, hesitancy that Marina Rodriguez had because Marina always struggles with grapplers. Uh, you know, she'll be hesitant because she doesn't want to be taken out. I think Torres will have more confidence in her takedown defense. I think she's going to let those hands fly and get a unanimous decision victory in this spot. Do you agree? I've got to agree. Uh, that that was my pick. My pick was Tisha Torres. If you look at Tisha Torres' losses, Rose Namajunas, Jessica Andrade, J- uh, John and Jacek, Wayne Ziang, uh, Marina Rodriguez. Uh, I mean, that, that's literally death row. Honestly, she's yeah. been put through it all inside the UFC. And as you thought about, she bounced back uh, with three three wins on the trot. And then the last one against Angela Hill, uh, she, she she got that one over Angela Hill. Uh, I think that's two and zero oh now. I believe against uh, Angela Sam Hill. Hughes. Sam Hughes as oh, well. Yeah, oh, that's it, yeah. Uh, so, Mackenzie Dern, is, um, as you talked about, she's a great uh, BJ practitioner, but when it comes to striking, she's a little bit clueless. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, she's a little bit clueless, but the best case scenario for her is having Jason Perillo in her corner. Because yeah. Jason Perillo is a fantastic boxing coach. He knows what he's doing with the hands. Um, he turned Bis- Bisping around. Um, he, I know he's helped um, Luke Rockhold a little bit. So, yeah. uh, they're, they're, I mean, that's a fantastic Martin coach in the corner. Marlon Vera as well, yeah, exactly. But is it going to be enough to be able to sway this fight and she gets the right side of, of T. Torres? I don't think so. I think T. Torres is, uh, is going to get the right side of her once again. Uh, the only the only dispes- uh, the only only advantage that Mackenzie Dern has is the size. She's five foot four. She's three inches taller than uh, T. Torres. I know she's small, um, uh, but that's the only thing uh, is the size and the grappling. But I just don't see in 
as you talked about, I don't see Dern being able to get T Stories to the ground. Uh, I think T Stories will be able to keep this one uh, on the feet, and that's where she's going to do her best work, get inside and land them, land them punches. Uh, I'm going to go decision. I'm going to go T Stories. Yeah, T Stories. Uh, she may be short, but she carries a fair amount of muscle. She's actually been doing bodybuilding competitions in her spare time. So uh, she definitely, uh, in my opinion, I think she might have a strength advantage in this fight. So I think this is a really good fight for Tisha Torres. And people are really disrespecting her heading into this fight. They just think T uh, Mackenzie gets a quick armbar here or whatever. I, I don't see it happening, man. I see Torres getting that decision victory. And we'll move on to the main card opener. This was originally going to be uh, Driscus Duplessis versus uh, Kevin Gaslam or Nasrin Imovov. A lot of craziness happening with this card. He got reshuffled, but I think this is a great fight to kick off. Uh, to kick off the main card, Vince from Hell Pichel versus Marco Madsen. Uh, Marco Madsen is one of the best wrestlers to ever compete in the UFC. Olympic silver medalist, uh, and in his last fight, he did not go for a single takedown against Clay Guida. And uh, I thought Clay Guida was going to give him maybe some problems, and he sure did. Because uh, when you're purely struggling with Clay Guida um, and, you know, you're as ex inexperienced as Marco Madsen, that was a very close fight. You could have given it to either guy, but Marco Madsen has the quicker output. He's got a solid jab on his side. He, you know, he, he he's not going to throw anything really crazy at you. He He's only focusing on the basics, and that's good because he's not going to overextend. And get himself uh, knocked out. So, Marco Madsen, he saw that he went for eight takedowns against Austin Hubbard, and he got very tired, and he lost that third round. So, Marco Madsen is now respecting his opponents more, pacing himself better, using the threat of takedown more. I think he'll do it against Vince Bichel. Vince Bichel is 37, uh, but he's looking really good out there. He's only lost, like, what was it? One fight in the last in his last ten. He's on Gregor Gillespie. Yeah, yeah, Gregor Gillespie. He's on a really good run. In his last fight, he fought a common opponent of Madsen, uh, Austin Hubbard, and he got taken down four times. He got taken down four times. So if you're getting taken down four times by Austin Hubbard, you can't you can't tell me that Marco Madsen can't take you down more than four times. Marco Madsen will get takedowns constantly in, in this fight. Uh, he's got over a 15% takedown, uh, you know, accuracy. And Matt, uh, Vince Pichel, his takedown defense is at 25%. So only one out of four takedowns can he defend. So Matson, I feel, will get these takedowns in rounds one and two quite easily. I think he'll get the control time. Uh, he might have to, you know, take down again after Vichel, uh, Pichel gets up, but I think he'll win the first two really convincingly. But I think Pichel will give him hell in that third round. I think he's going to get tagged bad in that third round. But Madsen's never been knocked out. I think he'll somehow survive. But yikes, that third round, he might get knocked out. But I, I say he survives it, and we see a decision win for Marco Madsen in the spot. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. I think Marco Madsen is just a, a, a different animal. Uh, as you talked about, Vince Michelle getting taken down by Austin Hubbard four times. And uh, if you get taken, obviously, you know, disrespect Austin Hubbard, if you get taken down by Austin Hubbard four times, just think about what Marco Madsen's going to do. Yeah, yeah, he, as you talked about, Olympic silver medalist, uh, at the, uh, uh, Olympic silver medalist, 
this guy is a different animal when it comes to wrestling on the mat. And uh, I think things Michelle is going to realise that at least about a minute in. I think in a minute in, he's going to be on his back. And uh, I think Marco Manson is going to be landing them big punches. Uh, but I just don't see him. I don't see Marco Manson finishing the fight. Um, a lot of decisions on his record. And I just don't see that happening. Um, I I'm going to go with Marco Manson. I think it's going to be a decision. I think it's going to be very, very dominant. Yeah, he's also coming out of that fight-ready gym, which is developing into a super camp. Of course, Andy wow. Cejudo, yeah. Green Zombie, John Jillantier, Prohaska. Uh, yeah. Those guys are great at game planning. So I, I'm sure they realize that Matson does not, uh, should not overexert himself at Russell. He'll get in very tough spots in that fight. So I think Matson will fight smart and get that win. We'll move on to the prelim headliner, Ian the Future Gary versus Darian Weeks. This is a very exciting fight. This is a solid test for Ian Gary and his first fight. In the UFC, he fought Jordan Williams. He was losing that round, but little did we know he was making his reads. Lands the perfect counter left hook and puts away Jordan Williams. Jordan Williams is a stud man. He had a war with uh, Nasrani Nimavov, who was a 2-1 to favorite against Calvin Gaston on this card, by the way. He fought Gregory Rodriguez, knocks him out in the first round on Contender Series. And Gary takes him out in the first round. Gary... Has very legit skills, man. He's a really good kickboxer. He's got really solid power. And he's a decent grappler. So uh, I understand why some people are really uh, liking this guy as a prospect. I don't exactly see him being, uh, you know, a guy that will be in the title mix anytime soon. He is very young, but uh, I, I don't really see him being as successful as some people do. Uh, against Darren Weeks, Darren Weeks started out as a wrestler. And uh, he went and became an amateur mixed martial artist. He had over 15 fights as an amateur. So I always like to see that a guy always refining his skill set before he becomes a professional. And he goes, what was it? Yeah, 5-1. and one. No, he goes 5-0 and oh, uh, in his pro fights, all finishes. And then he gets called up to the, to the contender series. And uh, he has to pull out of the fight. So eventually he gets called on to fight. Brian Barbarina. Brian Barberini just went to a war with uh, Matt Brown, which he won. He went to war with Vicente Luque, a top five guy at the moment. And he fights Darren Weeks. That's a, that's a close fight. I I actually gave the first round to Darren Weeks, but the, the last two rounds went to Brian Barberina. Um, that was a short notice fight for Weeks. So Weeks, you know, obviously didn't have any time to study. Barberina did not. Have time to do his strength and conditioning like he should. So uh, maybe that's not the best judgment of him. But uh, nonetheless, um, the big danger here with Weeks uh, for Gary, in my opinion, is uh, is the wrestling and the boxing. But let's be real. Not only is Gary a better striker, I think as an overall grappler, he's a better grappler. And he's gotten submissions before. So I think not only can he catch Weeks with a submission, he could knock him out and hurt him here. But... Weeks has never been knocked out. He's actually been uh, to, uh, what was it, top rank? He's actually boxing top rank before. Um, I think Weeks can survive the flare from Gary here, but I, I still think he loses the decision. I think Gary will uh, will be in a bit of a showcase spot here and get that decision. Well, that's it. I've got to agree with you. Um, I think I, this is the headliner on the prelims, and I think it's a fantastic spot for him to shine uh, on, on his last fight. He was on a pay-per-view as well uh, against Jordan, and then he fought Jordan Williams. And um, 
the first round was a little bit tough for him. Uh, maybe it might have been, you know, Octagon, you know, UFC jitters. Um, he walked out with a blooded nose. It, it, you know, if you're looking at that first few minutes, you know, you might have thought the fight was going the other way. But all it takes is two seconds uh, for him to win the fight. His striking is so crisp, so clean. And um, he just needs a few seconds, a few minutes to get it going. Um, I feel like um, in this one, he's going to want to put on a better performance, a more cleaner performance. Um, just, you know, to maybe just, uh, you know, override what happened in uh, in his debut uh, on the early stages. But Darren Weeks, as you talk about, he's a fantastic opponent. Uh, came in against Brian Barberino, made a competitive. Uh, but I just seen Ian Gary just being better on the feet, and obviously, uh, obviously being better all, all the way around as you're talking about. But I think Ian Gary's going to put on a good performance. He's got a good showcase to put it on, and I feel like uh, we're going to really see uh, the full potential of Ian Gary this weekend. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and we'll move on to the next fight. It is not Rosa Strike versus Tybura. We just got word that Tybura is out with illness. I thought that would have been a short night for him. I thought Jarzine was going to knock his head into the second bone. Uh, and we'll move on to uh, Aspen Ladd versus Raquel Pennington. This is a very interesting fight, in my opinion. Aspen Ladd, in her last fight, did not look like herself, was not aggressive at all, and it just didn't It feel like it was a complete off night for her. She fought Norma Dumas in a five-round main event, and it was at featherweight. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things were off with her that night. Of course, there was the coaching controversy, which I thought was overblown. Uh, Aspen Land really looked terrible in that fight. And somehow I'm convincing myself to pick her in this spot. Uh, she's fighting Raquel Pennington. Raquel Pennington is in a very good form right now. She's on a three-fight win streak. And if you look at those losses, those losses are absolutely nothing you should be ashamed about. Losses to Holly Holm, Jermaine Duranemi, Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm again, just gone drosh. That's since 2014. So we're talking, you know, people that have been in the title mix for a long time. And she's gotten some pretty high-quality wins in that in that time. Uh, the big uh, strength for Raquel Pennington is her clinch game. She loves to hold girls up against the fence, uh, look for takedowns. But if she can't get them, she'll beat them up in the clinch. Uh her striking isn't bad either. Uh, she's got one of the only bulldog chokes in UFC history uh, against Ashley Evan Smith. Um, she's a well-rounded fighter, but uh, not the most aggressive, I would say, at certain times. Aspen Land, on the other hand, was not aggressive on last fight, but that was uncharacteristic. Historically, she's been pretty aggressive, man. She's always looked for takedowns. Uh, she's outgrappled to Jar Eubanks twice. That's definitely a statement there. Uh, she's very physically strong. She's got heavy hands. She knocked down Yana Kunitskaya uh, in her fight and, you know, pounded her out. That was really impressive. Uh, Aspenheim, when she's on, is a very good fighter. She was once undefeated, and she was a favorite to beat Jermaine Duranemi. Uh, but she had a very terrible weight cut. And one thing you could say this time around, she had a good weight cut. Did you look at her on the skills this, uh, this morning? She looked really good. She, she, yeah. she walked up no towel. No complications, no shaking. She looks phenomenal. Yeah, she looked calm out there. Uh, I've never seen it look better on the scale, quite honestly. She's she looks slimmer. Uh, I feel like she's she's got a renowned focus. I think uh, Raquel Pennington, uh, her takedown defense is not impressive. You're getting taken down by Marion Renault of all people. Uh, getting taken down by Penny Kianzad. Uh, I think Aspen Land is a much better wrestler than those women. Uh, I see I see her getting 
takedowns in at least two rounds of this fight. I think this will be a very close split decision, but at the end of the day, I think Aspenland gets this done. And to see her as this big of an underdog, I think is an overreaction to her last fight, which was at a weight class that she doesn't fight at and on short notice. Yeah, 100%. I've got to agree. Uh, uh, th this is a good fight for uh, Aspenland. Uh, as you were talking about, she looked good on the scale and uh, she looks, looks disciplined. Uh, we've seen it in the past where she struggled with that weight cut. Uh, I think that when you move up to a, a, a weight class, um, it's a sign of, uh, I, I don't really want to cut weight, but it, she, she looked phenomenal. Uh, we're stepping onto the scale this morning and uh, I feel like it's going to be the real difference maker. I think she's going to be, I feel like we're going to see the best performance we've seen of Aspinad because the weight cut went smoothly. I feel like we're going to see a really good performance. Aspinad is phenomenal. She's got, we've seen, um, she, uh, when she looks like, you know, can skip sky she's got, you know, she's got heavy hands. And uh, she's good. She's good at mixing up. Her boxing is crisp. Uh, but Ra Raquel Pennington loves to make a fight dirty, and she's uh she's been around, man. She's fought so many. As you were talking about her wins, her losses, she's fought so many people, and uh, that experience could could pay a factor. But I think the, the freshness, the, you know, the the, the young uh, Aspen lad is going to be able to uh, be able to win this fight. But I don't I don't see it being finished. Uh, I think Raquel Pennington is going to be able to hang in there, and uh, I think Aspen lad is going to have a good night. I think she's going to get her hand raised, and I think it's going to be United's decision. All right, and we'll move on to Mickey Gall versus Mike Malott. I'm very excited for this fight. Mike Malott is a striking coach at Team Alpha Male. He's been fighting since the early 2010s, and I feel like an inactivity has really slowed down his career. Uh, you see he doesn't even have 10 fights. The guy has more experience than that because he's been, he's been training in MMA for uh, about a decade now, man. Uh, Mickey Gall, on the other hand, has less experience. Uh, and he's been trading wins and losses since 2016, ever since he beat Sage Northcutt. He's been trading wins and losses, and some of those losses uh, don't exactly look good. Uh, he got knocked out by Diego Sanchez. That is not a good look at all in 2019. Uh, the Randy Brown losses isn't too bad. Uh, the Mike Perry loss. Uh, Mike Perry is a very solid name, but He's not exactly known for his grappling. He goes out there and dominates Mickey Gall on the ground. Mickey Gall is supposed to be known as this big submission threat. Uh, I, th I think his submission, you know, attacks are very overrated in my opinion. He's not. He's not going to be, you know, a guy that's dominating the, you know, the ranked fighters of the division. It's just not. It's not the case. And uh, when he fought Jordan Williams, that was very impressive because he got that. Uh, he got the knockdown then. Choked him out. That was very, very impressive. I'll give him that. But against Alex Morono, uh, he was just a step behind in the striking uh, and in the grappling in that fight. And I kind of feel it's going to be the same scenario here. Michael Malak is a good striker. Uh, sure, he did get knocked out by uh, Mean Hakeem Dawadu, but Dawadu is a, he's a Canadian Muay Thai champ. Uh, but besides that, he puts guys away in the first round in all of his wins, man. In all of his wins, that's what he does. He puts him away, uh, usually by striking, but he's he got really good submission skills, man. Uh, of course, he's out of alpha male, so he's got a really good guillotine, and he showed it on the Canary Series. 39 seconds it took him to beat a 7-0 prospect. Before that, he fought Solomon Renfro, who also fought on the Contender Series. Looked pretty good out there. I actually thought he got robbed on the decision. Uh, first round, Rennick and Joe. He did get tagged in that fight, but He's shown really 
a really promising skill set. He's a black belt on jujitsu. Mickey Gall is also, but I actually think he's a better grappler than Mickey Gall. And striking, he's got more pop. But I think he's less durable, so it, it's going to be a very interesting fight because, as I said, Mike Mallott, first-round finisher. Mickey Gall is comfortably, you know, down to 15 minutes before he will slow down. But, yeah, this is, this is a tough one to pick because Mallott uh, does not leave the first round. But I'll trust him just enough to win uh, two rounds in this fight. And maybe he gets a submission here, but I say he gets a unanimous decision. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. Um, uh, if you look at this fight, as you were talking about, Mickey Gall has always been up and down uh, in, in the last few years. You know, Diego Sanchez losing to Diego Sanchez, losing to Mike Perry, and his last fight losing to Alex Moreno. Um, and as you were talking about, Malloy, he's, he's been act well, not active, but active inside MMA training since 2010. He fought in World Series of Fighting. So that shows you how long he's been around because World Series of Fighting hasn't been a, a promotion since, I want to say, 2015. It, it transitioned into, into the, now what we have is PFL. Um, so it, it shows you how long he's been around. And uh, uh, although he hasn't been active inside MMA, you, you just know he's been working, grafting away. Uh, I feel like we're going to see a good performance of Greg debut against Mallot. Uh, I'm expecting big things. I've heard big things about him. I know him and his brother. His, his brother might be... And um, a hockey star, if I'm correct, in Canada, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not too, I'm not too sure on that one, but I believe so. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I don't like this matchup for Mickey Gow. As you talked about, um, the submission threat of Mickey Gow has always been, you know, talked talked about. But as you talked about, I don't, I don't really see it either. Um, I, I just don't see, you know, that that that, that big submission threat. Um, and his gas tank as well. His gas tank is atrocious. Uh, I mean, he, he gassed out uh, after, I, I can't remember, it was against Jacob Sanchez, he gassed out and what was it, after a round and Mike Perry, yeah. he gassed out and yeah, I, I, I see the first round being tough for Malloy, but after that, I think he's, he's going to take over. Um, I think we're going to see a good debut and um, maybe a, a Canadian prospect another one. Now, I actually think Malat will not lose a round in this fight, assuming his, uh, his gas tank has improved. Um, yeah, I, I think he's the better striker in this fight. A lot of people, a lot of people uh, just look at the name. They don't really know who Malad is. They'll just pick Mickey Gall because it's the name. I think Malad is a better is a better fighter than Mickey Gall. Uh, plain and simple, but it's just questions about the guessing on the two sides that makes this a little tricky. Uh, we'll move on to the early prelims. This is somehow on the early prelims. Former ranked fighter Alexi Olenek is taking on Jared Vandera. This is a very uh, very close fight on paper. Alexi Olenek, obviously, one of the best grapplers in the heavyweights division's history. The guy went out there uh, against Fabrizio Verdum and survived many submission attempts. Nobody's going to submit this guy, and he can submit almost anyone when he goes to the ground. He fought uh, Sergei Spivak in his last fight, and Sergei Spivak couldn't take him down once. In fact, he took down Spivak and he put him in that scarf fold. I thought Spivak might have gotten saved by the round there. The guy has that old man strength. Uh, it's a real thing, man. And against Jared Vandera, I think he might get a takedown here and uh, punish Vandera. Uh, Vandera is actually a black belt himself. We've not seen real evidence that he's great at defending submissions. But if he's a black belt, I'll just assume he's good enough to survive on the ground long enough and to tire out Olenek because... Olenek has about one round of cardio after that. He gets super slow and lethargic, but against bad fighters, he can, you know, 
He can't do well for himself uh, in that Spivak fight. Spivak is is a really bad striker, um, and he was having some success there. Um, Terry Van Der, on the other hand, he's not a heavy hitter, even though he's heavyweight. Not a heavy hitter. He's a volume guy at heavyweight, which I like this for uh, for Van because assuming he survives that first round, he's he's obviously the quicker strider striker. Olenek is 43, 44, I believe. He's going to be the quicker guy there. He's going to be the the bigger guy. He weighed in at the heavyweight limit today. Olenek, on the other hand, has fought as low as middleweight before. Lost to Chael Sonnen. Um, I think Jared Vandera survives the early uh, early submission attempts. And then he just outstrikes Olenek because Olenek will be too tired to really get any offense going. So... That's what I see here uh, between uh, Vandera and Olenek. Uh, if you want an example of Olenek just tiring out and being unable to get anything going, that against, uh, who was it? Let me get the name right here. Daniel Omel Zierschuk. That was a majority decision. One of the judges scored a draw because Olenek did so well in the first round. But after that, his cardio fell off a cliff. So that's what I see happening here. Uh, Olenek. I love the guy, but uh, he's he's just too old now, man. And Vandera will uh, will just beat him up in those letter rounds. That's what I see happening. This is a tough fight, uh, in my opinion. I, I see obviously Alexi Olenek has that advantage on the ground. Obviously, he's uh, yeah, he has an advantage over anyone on the ground. He's uh, as you talked about, he submitted uh, hanging with the best in the world. Um, you know, uh, defended well off uh, uh, defended well for Reset World Doom, and uh, I, I, I'm not too sure on this one. Uh, I, I want to pick Alexi Olenek, and I think that's what I'm going to go with. He's talked about old man strength, and uh, I, I think he can really. So I think he can submit Jared Vandera, who's also not been on the best run of, of, of his career as of late. I think two back-to-back losses against uh, Andre Arlovski and the one that I can't think of uh, off the top uh, of my head. Uh, there we go. But if you look at you know Olenek, who he's fought uh, in his last few fights, um, it, you know it's, it's been a tough run for him. Uh, if if I quickly put it up, here we go. Derek Lewis, Chris Dorcas, and Sergio Spivak. You know that, that that's a tough run. It's a tough loss. He's been around. He's been around the block. The experience in between these guys is, is ridiculous. Uh, Alexei Linick, he used to fight. What his first fight was in like nineteen ninety eight, I believe. It, it was crazy. Uh, hold on, I'll have a quick look. Nineteen ninety six was his first fight in mixed martial arts, and he's still fighting to this day. It's crazy. Uh, I, I think Alexei Olenek is going to submit him. I, 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 have, I have a truth in. I have a belief. Uh, I think Alexei Olenek is going to get it done. I think he's going to submit him. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets his choke either. Is a uh, the Olenek choke? The, well, uh, the Zico choke. Yeah. choke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm rooting for Olenek, but I, I I'm not confident in his ability to to submit a uh, Bandera here. Uh, we'll move on to. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez versus Josh Friend. Anthony Hernandez has not fought for a year. In his last fight, he fought the multi-time ADCC BJJ champion. He submitted him in that second round. He's a really good defensive grappler. He showed it in that fight. He had uh, D1 wrestlers in his camp, BJJ black belts, and he knew exactly how to defend those tough positions. So come that second round, Vieira was completely gassed. He hurts him with big strikes, a uh, big old head kick. And then eventually he gets that arm in guillotine and his opponent is forced to tap. 
that was a really good performance. Uh, and he's had to deal with some injuries since then. And he was going to fight a tough matchup in this fight. It was going to be Albert Derayev. But Derive had to pull out of the fight. In comes Josh Friend. If you remember the UFC's uh, looking for a fight series they did in uh, in Missouri that one time where they were looking for the full send fighter, Josh Friend competed on that, and he looked great out there. They, there was a lot of good performances on that card, and he was one of the two picked. He He's really tall for this weight class. He's 6'4 at a welterweight, I mean at middleweight, and he got a knockdown, then he choked his opponent unconscious. Uh, Josh Friend, one thing I'll respect about the guy, this always happens. Debuting fighters, they've only fought straight-up cans. They fought guys with losing records. Uh, that's not the case. He's only fought guys with winning records. Um, so that's really impressive. Um, he sh- he did get knocked out by Gregory Rodriguez. He was actually a big favorite in that fight. Uh, he got knocked out. Anthony um, Hernandez does not have the power of Gregory Rodriguez, so I see Hernandez uh, maybe getting a, a tough beating in that first round. If you ask me the better striker here, I will say it is friend. But Hernandez is good at weathering storms, man. I think he'll put the pressure on friend. Uh, and I feel like if he could submit Vieira, he could submit pretty much anybody. So I'll, I'll just I'll straight up say I think he gets a, a second round. Uh, I'll say he gets a second round anaconda choke. I think Hernandez gets a second round submission here. Um, yeah, I think he can get takedowns against a friend. Friend is coming in on short notice. I think he can get submitted here. Uh, I, I mean, I've got, I've got to agree with you. Um, I, I see, you know, Anthony Hernandez. Uh, as you talked about, is uh, that phenomenal uh, submission win against um, Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, but he, he has been submitted in the past against Marcus Perez as well. We've seen that, yeah. and then he got finished finished against um, Kevin Holland. Uh, but he has beat some really good guys. He beat Brendan uh, Brendan Allen. Had a the, you know the, the no contest you know, but he won yeah. against Jordan Wright. Uh, then Junior Park. Park yeah, I, I think I think he's going to submit him. Man. Yeah, you you're hyping him up. Um, we know how good his uh, his his submissions is. Uh, we've seen it against Vieira uh, against a fantastic ADCC submission threat, and uh, he managed to pull it off. And that was the biggest. What was that? The submission of the year? Uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, so I, I think Hernandez is going to get this one done. I think he's going to submit him. Um, maybe round two, maybe not round one. I think round one would be a fitting out process. Um, and then I think round two, he will, he, he will get him. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you there. Uh, friend, uh, do not sleep on this guy, as I said. Never fought a guy with a losing record. Hernandez is no different. Uh, really good striker. If Hernandez cannot have grappling success here, friend will win this decision. I'm, I'm just saying that, but... Uh, I'm not going to doubt Hernandez's submission offense after that last fight. So we'll move on to Piera Rodriguez versus Kay Hansen. This fight was set to be at a straw weight. Hansen missed weight. 118 pounds she weighed in at. Um, yeah, she did not look good on the scales. Obviously had a hiccup on this, had a hiccup uh, in her wake up process. So anybody picking Kay Hansen, uh, I think it might be time to switch over to Piera Rodriguez. Piera, in the contender series, uh, she was actually known as a striker coming in, and she gets takedowns in uh, two of the rounds and gets good control time. So she's showing that she's more well-rounded now. Her striking coach is Jason Park. Uh, Jason Park, best known for coaching Brian Ortega to the fighter he is now. Um, 
She's got a good team around her. I really believe she's the better striker in this fight. Uh, she has more power as well. And when it comes to grappling, Kay Hansen, sure, she's submitted Jane Frey in the first round with an arm bar, but Pierre Rodriguez has actually seen this type of opponent before. She's 7-0, former Invicta champion, and she fought this woman right here. Her name was Sel Selvatana Gosik. She was 13 and 5. It was the Invicta. It was the Invicta title fight. And if you look at her record, it's a bunch of uh first round R bars. So uh, I don't believe she's as good as Kay Hanton is. Kay Hanton is 10th planet, uh 10th planet PJJ trained, but I I got a feeling Pierre knows how to defense the submission that uh Hanton will be throwing up. Hanton in the last fight fought Jasmine Jesse. This is cannot get any of those uh submissions. So I feel like uh if it goes to the ground, I think she can defend it on the feet. She'll be uh she'll be doing work here. And considering the bad weight cut, we could see Hanson slowing down and maybe we see some kind of ground pound finish. But uh because I'll tell you that Beer, uh the reason she got on the contender series is because she's a finisher. She got a fifth round T uh TKO on Invicta to win her belt. For that she was getting a lot of finishes, so she's very aggressive. I really like her in this spot. I think she wins the decision. Yeah, if you look at her record, uh, Kay Hans has only been finished once, and that was in her second pro, uh, pro fight against uh, Kyle Schwartz, uh, where, where she got ground and pounded. Um, Rodriguez, as you were talking about, you know, the submission threat and Kay Hansen, you know, missing weight. Uh, I just this, this one's quite a tough one to pick. Uh, the odds are quite close, and I've, I've got to agree with that, but I, I, I'm with the, you know, the weight miss and how she looked on the scale. It's not a great look, and that's why. I'm siding with Rodriguez. I think she's. Uh, I think Kate Hansen's going to gas out. Uh, I think that the you know the weight miss and um, uh, is going to pay a big factor in this one. Uh, I feel like we're going to see her uh, slow down significantly after the first round, and uh, I think Rodriguez is going to start to take over and uh, maybe even get a submission. I, I fancy a submission late. Wow, that that would be really something for Rodriguez. And we'll move on to the opener, which. Honestly, don't think this should be the opener. I think this is a very exciting fight. Could be fight of the night. Uh, Julio Arce versus Daniel Willie Cat Santos. Daniel Santos is a monster. This guy trains with Charles Oliveira. Um, he's always been uh, he's been in Charles Oliveira's corner constantly. He's been in those championship parades. So he's obviously gaining uh, inspiration from that. The guy is, oh, he's he's a wild man. He throws a lot of spinning attacks. He's got a lot of power in his kicks and his hands. He's a Muay Thai specialist. Uh, the guy, is, as I said, he's fought he's fought really good guys his whole career. Honestly, he's only fought uh, three fighters that you know had losing records. But besides that, he's fighting guys that are eleven and three, nineteen and eight, eight and zero, four and one, seven and one, and seven and one. So he's fighting quality competition, even though he's outside the UFC. And he's getting quick finishes. In his last fight, he got a first-round armbar for that spinning back fist. The guy is uh, really unpredictable. And Julio Arce, on the other hand, he's fallen on uh, tough times. But it's nothing to be ashamed of when you're getting knocked out by Sangi Dong, especially when that first round was even. Uh, that's, the, that's the big factor here. Arce is not super durable. And not only that, this is at bantamweight. Arce has fought comfortably at featherweight before, so 
You got to imagine he can't take punches as well down at uh, Bantamweight. Uh, he got knocked out by Zhang Yudang, as I said. Uh, that's the only time he's gotten knocked out. But uh, besides that, I just I, I really feel that he's the better striker here. As I said, if he does not get knocked out, I think he will be a little ahead of Santos. Santos, this is UFC debut. So, of course, he's going to want to get some kind of crazy KO. He's going to have those jitters. Arce's been in, the, been in the UFC for a while now, ever since uh, he got that uh, knockout on the contender series in 2017. He kicked off his UFC career by beating Danny Gay. Then he beat Daniel Taymor, beat Julian Arosa, beat Andre Ewell. I think some of those names I mentioned are better fighters than uh, Santos. So, I, I, I think I think Arce wins here, but don't be surprised if we see some kind of wheel kicker or some kind of crazy first round guillotine from Willcat Santos. Well, yeah, Santos has landed a spinning back kick uh, before. I'm not too sure if you've seen it, but if you look on yeah. YouTube, it's, it's a phenomenal lockout. It's, it's perfectly timed and uh, put the lights out of his opponent. And uh, definitely what we could see, you know, it's definitely not out of the shadow realm. And uh, uh, Daniel Santos, as you were talking about, training partner Charles Oliveira, uh, been in his corner. So, you know, he's been around some, he obviously he's been around some incredible guys and uh, sparring the likes of him and that's going to make him a better fighter. And Julio Ars is, you know, obviously you're talking about, he's uh, he's fought some great guys, um, lost to some fantastic guys. And if you, you listen to some of the names he's fought, you know, it, it's incredible. He's, he's not been uh, fed some easy fights inside the UFC, in, in his UFC career. Um, that, that could be a difference maker, you know, because he's had that experience. Um, he's fought these great guys and this, this is Santos's, um debut inside the UFC so there could be you know maybe some jitters but, but we always see what once in the blue moon there's always a star that you know shows up Emerging. and I feel like um yeah. th th there's something special about Daniel uh, Santos I feel like uh we might witness something special this weekend uh I I'm not sure I've got I, I, can't, I don't know what it is I've got a feeling uh that, that, that we're gonna see him you know put on a show and I think Santos is gonna get it done but as you were talking about Ars is moving down to uh, Arsenal is moving down to bantamweight and uh, out of featherweight. He got knocked out against Yudong Sung, which, by the way, Yudong Sung hits that absolute truck, so there's, there's no shame in that. Uh, but Santos, um, th this is a fantastic fight to kill off the evening. This is a really, really close matchup, and uh, uh, I I'm going to root with Santos. I think he's going to get it done, and I feel like we're going to talk about him next week and think, you know, what what is the limit for this guy? Yeah, I got a feeling I'll be voting uh, on Crypto.com for this fight to be part of the night because the UFC is now giving out fan bonus out of the awards. That is right. Uh, the fans can now decide who gets compensated the uh, extra money and it will all be on the crypto.com website. Uh, you have three votes per card. You can choose anybody on the card. Winners, losers on the prelims during the main card. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to remind the people of that because you get uh, five Figures in Bitcoin, depending on your uh, depending on your spot. So, make sure to vote, vote guys, because uh, seeing fighters get paid more is really cool to see. Uh, yeah, especially if it's in Bitcoin, it might be worth more in five years. So, you never know. Yeah, that's a good little touch from the UFC. Uh, yeah, there's always been this talk about the UFC fight pay, and yeah, I feel that's a good touch. It shows that they're trying to do something. They're, they're, they're gradually doing it. They're doing it, you know, professionally. They're doing it business-wise, business-smart. Uh, but, yeah, it's gonna things are going to improve. You've got to take time. But it's still a very, very new sport. And uh, yeah. uh, they're not trying to rush stuff. But, yeah, we let's go back to the UFC 73. We've got a fantastic card this weekend. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, two title fights. Um, and, obviously, 
the main event. versus Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I, this is this is going to be a very eventful card. As I said, three three really big fights that everybody's excited for. Uh, if we see some kind of upset on this card, it, it will be a contender for upset of the year. It, we could see something crazy go down on this card. But uh, yeah, either way, I think we're in for a super exciting uh, night of fights. Yeah, make sure to tune in uh, wherever you know, wherever you tune in, uh, ESPN Plus here in the U.S. And yeah, really, yeah, there's it's going to be in front of fans in Jacksonville, Florida. This is where they had that empty arena pay per view, UFC 249, Ferguson versus Gaethje. Then they came back for UFC 261. Usman versus Masvidal. It's always a great card out there. I'm sure it's going to be an electric atmosphere. Make sure to enjoy these fights. Yeah, I remember that UFC 249 pay per view. That was so eerie because yeah. you could land, you could hear every single shot in. It was it was in a big like a big arena. Uh, you could hear everything, and then obviously witnessing Tony Ferguson just uh, it was it was not it was it was not a good night to, if you were a Tony Ferguson fan. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, I think we're going to see a similar beating in uh, Jan versus Sterling. Yes, me. Yeah, I've got to agree. Uh, I can't wait for this card. This weekend is going to be phenomenal. Uh, make sure you tune in. UFC two seventy three, as you talked about. If you're over in America, uh, ESPN Plus, and if you're in a, in the UK, BT Sport. Uh, so make sure you tune in next week where we get to talk about everything that happened, uh, everything that trans trans transcripted this weekend. We will talk about next week. Uh, I, I presume we'll have a lot of talking points next week. Yeah, without a doubt, especially if an upset happens. But uh, I think we'll be discussing the Chamayev versus Covington matchup because Dana would say that's the next opponent for Chamayev if he gets past Gilbert during New Burns. Uh, it's a big if, but, you know, we both agree that he does get past him. And uh, we're going to have to find out this Saturday. Uh, guarantee one favorite might lose. You know, this is, you know, this is the game that we're in. We're in a mixed martial yeah. arts, uh, you know. Something crazy might happen. Yeah, uh, Sterling two. might land a flying knee. Who knows? Yeah, I got two underdogs picked on this card. Aspen Lad and uh, Marco Madsen. Uh, yeah, those are not bad bets, especially when, uh, you know, both both uh, are the better wrestlers in the matchup. Yeah, 100%. I, I can't wait for this uh, pay-per-view this weekend. Um, what, what is, uh, before we go, what is Silver Slips for this weekend? All right, so Silver Slips. It's nothing original here, but uh, Volkanovski to win by TKO or decision parlayed with Jan to win by TKO or decision parlayed with Chemayev to win inside the distance. And then the cherry on top is uh, is Tishi Torres by decision. Yep, I've got them written down and we'll revisit them next week uh, where, where we get to talk about it all. I can't wait. So make sure you tune in next week. Uh, where we get to talk about all the talking points, we get to talk about Kamza Chimaev, uh, Gilbert Burns, Algernon Sterling, Peter Yan, and then uh, obviously the main event, Volkanovski versus Chanstein, joining the Korean Zombie. I can't wait. We've got such a great episode next week, and it hasn't even started yet. I can't even wait. So make sure you tune in next week. Uh, at the same time, uh, be on Tuesday, though, hopefully, all going well. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me. From me and Oscar, a very goodbye, and we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>